We are broadcasting live from an undisclosed location, partially near the shores of Lake Maspinot. Or maybe not, because it's undisclosed. Where science and art and philosophy meet. And this intersection is called the Art Shed. Hey, I'm Matt Carl. Hey, I'm Normal Andy. I'm producer Chris. And we're here with Dr. Rick Wobie. Wait, let me shut off the stomp. That's called the stomp. Uh, Rick, uh, do you want to... Um, it, it worked better last time when I said, Rick, why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah, I, I'm Rick Wobie. I uh, am a, a scientist by uh, training. I have a PhD in biochemistry. And I worked for about 20 years in the pharmaceutical industry, first as a scientist, and then moving up through the ranks uh, to a vice president of R&D. Uh, position before moving on to other things uh, back in 2008. Uh, I got to know Carl, uh, as, as I've mentioned previously, uh, at one of my stops on the road in the pharmaceutical and biotech industries um, and enjoyed working with him. Um, since I left the industry, and it wasn't Carl's fault, I might have stayed in it if I <laughs> kept working at places with him. Um, but I, I taught high school chemistry uh, for a few years and then taught college chemistry for a few years. And then um, since about 2012, uh, 2013 or so, uh, I've been working with various nonprofit organizations in um, social justice uh, and medical relief efforts, primarily uh, a few other things along the side. So, so Rick, when I talked to you, uh, you said you had an interesting hobby, uh, <laughs> and um, and I thought it could actually be an episode. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like a, a temporarily relevant hobby. Also. A very relevant hobby. <laughs> it's it, it's I I I don't know if I call it interesting, morbid, maybe, but yeah, yeah, we'll go with it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. What is a hobby? Yeah, well, I, so um, it, it's actually something that I, I it, it's a continuation of me being a scientist that whatever I do. Uh, and, and one of those things is I just love looking at massive amounts of data uh, that are out there in the world and, and then crunching them and trying to find patterns in them. Um, that's kind of what you do as a scientist. And I, I am, am deeply and passionately in love with Microsoft Excel or with other spreadsheet <laughs> programs, but mostly Excel and, and what it can do. And, and my, my hobby uh, this time around is actually just keeping track of the COVID-19 uh, data that, that are coming out of primarily two sources uh, that you've probably seen on the news. Um, one of them is the Johns Hopkins uh, university that has been keeping track of, of deaths and hospitalizations uh, and infection rates uh, down to the county level uh, across the U.S. as well as globally uh, at the country level, in a few cases at the province level. So I've been, uh, one of my things I do is I used to get up at midnight and, and download all the data from the Johns Hopkins <laughs> database, which is huge. Um, and then turn it into spreadsheets and, and look for, for patterns in the data. Uh, the other database that I look at uh, for people who really get off on this sort of thing is called the, the COVID Tracking Project. Uh, and they keep uh, even more granular data 
uh, in terms of the kinds of things they look at than even Johns Hopkins. But uh, both of them just do an absolutely amazing job. And, and if you want to find out what the real numbers are in terms of the trends of the disease, uh, you don't have to take my word for it. You can just look at the bottom of the, the figures that they'll show you on the major news networks, and it'll say either the Johns Hopkins University or uh, the COVID tracking project. Um, and it's sort of notable for what sources they do not give, um, like the CDC. Yeah. Which, oh, man. Uh, the, this is, this, they're, they're doing quality work. And, and uh, so, so anyway, so, so my hobby has been tracking that. And like I said, looking for patterns. What, um, what are you seeing in the data? Well, so so uh, boy, it, it, it's to, to be honest, it's it's almost I, I feel like a pig in a wallow, as as my southern relatives might say. It is such uh, it's, it's just amazing all of the, the things that I'm, I'm not sure anybody's really got their head around it. I'll just give you a few little tidbits to kick things off. Um, based on the latest data <clears throat> just released from Johns Hopkins. Um, Let's see, uh, there were nine states that, uh, now, now this is as of Friday, as of yesterday, so they haven't reported their data for today yet. So as of uh, on Friday, nine states uh, reported new record highs for their numbers of cases. Um, if you look at the seven-day average, because the numbers bounce around a lot from day to day, uh, particularly... Uh, the, the weekends, generally, the cases tend to be reported a little bit lower. And, and you actually see that. If you ever look at these graphs that they have on CNN or in the New York Times, there's sort of a waviness to them. And usually the right. dip mm -hmm. in the waviness is over the weekends, uh, which I presume is because, you know, their people aren't tracking. I, I don't think it literally means that there are fewer cases. I think it just it's, it's the way the record keeping system works and it yeah, slows down right. over the weekend. Because I don't know, people are going to church or synagogue or something like that, maybe. Or, but to, anyway, then it sort of tends to catch up. <clears throat> so, but it, so, so the seven-day averages are really the, probably a somewhat more reliable number. If you look at that, so remember I told you that just on Friday, nine states had records. If you look at the seven-day average, the most recent one, twenty-four states set a new state record for numbers of cases. Um, on a daily average basis, 24 yeah. states, almost half the states um, in the U.S. So that, to me, is just a stunning thing. And and if you look nationwide, um, the record for the largest number of cases on the, again per day over a seven-day average, uh, that record was just set as of yesterday, fr Friday. Uh, that broke the previous record, which was set on the day before which broke yeah. the previous record <laughs> yeah. which was set the day before that and, and i could go i could go back yeah. and i'm looking at this thing and i could go back for two weeks every day we set a new record for the numbers of cases nationwide um, yeah. similarly a lot of cases are uh, a, lot, a lot of states are, are showing increases in the numbers of cases the deaths are are lagging behind but they're also uh Climbing sort of in parallel with about a three to four week lag because that's sort of how the disease progression goes. It is, I will say, if there is kind of a semi bright spot, <clears throat> it's that um, 
the the numbers of people that die uh, out of those cases does appear to be going down. I, I am not. Uh, I, it, it's a little difficult to say unequivocally how much the death rate has dropped, but I would say it's at least been cut in half. Yeah, um, and that really that that really I think speaks to just a lot of creative thinking. I mean, by doctors getting a handle on how to treat it. Yes. Um, that just what medicines work for respiratory symptoms of it and work yeah. for, I know early on, I haven't really kept up with that it that much, but there were some heart issues early on that um, patients were experiencing and that they know to look for that now where they back in the spring perhaps didn't. It, absolutely. And just something as simple as the way you position the patient in bed. It's been found right. that patients lie on their stomach for some reason, just it, 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 you know, I mean, one of the problems here is that lungs accumulate lots of crud, and, and it's very difficult for you to clear them. But you, you, you clear that crud better in some positions than others. And right, right. So, <clears throat> yeah. So, so I, and I think you're absolutely right that um, th- that it is the learning, and, and I think it really emphasizes, and, and I guess this is sort of one of the things that really continues to draw me to this is is that. This is a new, rapidly evolving situation, and we're learning new things. That that I mean, to to say it's just like the flu or it's just like the common cold. It's just that, that this disease in particular, uh, you know, when you look at how it works, presents some particularly new challenges. I mean, every time you get a new infection like this, you, you got you got to be modest. You have to be humble and say, I, I better spend some time learning about this because I don't know how much of what I knew before I can use here. Yeah. And it is the credit of the doctors uh, that they are moving uh, so quickly and, and having this kind of an impact. <clears throat> so anyway, so those are those are some of the trends. Um, I, I, I do have to confess that you have to be careful when you look at these numbers because they, they can sort of start to seem like you're looking at at the baseball standings. And for those of us in in, in Massachusetts, it's like looking at the baseball standings, like say in, in July or August when the Red Sox are doing really well. Right. <laughs> not, not in September <laughs> or October when, when, you know, it's a little bit dicey. Yeah. yeah. And it's, because you know you, you do then tend to see well where is the disease really hot here or not hot there and where where is are people not getting the disease at all which by the way American Samoa so far has had zero cases I've heard so, that so anyway it's it, but but I think yeah you have to be careful because these these are human lives that you're talking about yeah. and it's yeah. so much more than just simple baseball standings. And yeah, stepping back just from a purely scientific and data analysis perspective, there are a lot of similarities. If, if you need to know from a public health perspective where things are being done well and where things aren't being done well, well, it really does come down right. to like looking at the standings. Yeah. I, it's one thing I, I found interesting. We're kind of fortunate in Chicago that we can get the numbers by zip code. Mm. And there are quite a few. I mean, it's I, I think it's close. It's close to 20 different zip codes. So it divides a city up to a pretty granular level um, compared to certainly state or county numbers. Um, 
And one thing you can notice, and this is what I love about data, <laughs> um, <laughs> that when you look at it, you can see that the zip codes that are hit the worst um, in terms of positivity rate, in terms of per capita numbers, um, are really the working poor yeah. portions of the city. Yeah. So you can tell it's people, I think, in the previous right. episode, we were talking about yeah. how, you know, the people who are on the front lines are the people working the cash registers at the grocery right. store. It's the people working to, you know, give you a coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. Um, and these are all the neighborhoods that y- you would expect um, just because of the, you know, the, the socioeconomic makeup of these neighborhoods. That's where these people live. Um, yeah. It is not neighborhoods that are, um, you know, full of uh, lawyers and doctors and, um, you know, some of the higher uh, paid professions. It's, um, yeah, you can really see where it, where it hits. Well, yeah, and, and it gets to, to the issue that, that we discussed uh, the last time, too, uh, about issues of justice. You know, what? Yeah. How, how just is our society? How well do we look after the common good, and it's one of those things that, that, that I, I just got so much enlightenment from reading uh, the Sandel, Michael Sandel's book, The Tyranny of Merit, uh, because our society is breaking down that way. And, and then it, it, it causes people to behave in ways that, that might seem counter to their interests. Like, you know, we're talking about the working poor. I, I'll never forget that when Donald Trump was running the first time, he made this statement, and, and I just could not believe how, well, I, how, it, it, it just, it, it amazed me. He said, I, I think it was, I love the undereducated poor. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't yeah. in a way that was like supportive. It was like in a way right. that was like, yeah, you're, you're my little peeps here. And I love you guys. And I, there, there's an element of that where, where many of the people like in those areas that you're talking about that are getting hit hard, I mean, particularly now where the waves are hitting yeah. these areas like North Dakota and South Dakota that, that just – they are in those situations where our society is disenfranchising them, marginalizing them. And maybe in many cases they, they, they've turned to, to supporting a kind of politics, which arguably works completely against them and is now responsible for their appalling uh, infection rates and death rates it is those very communities. And yet those very communities are being persuaded to, to vote and act against their best interests, not just for no gain, but for tremendous loss. And uh, it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing may not be the right word. It's, it's, it's an incredible social phenomenon to watch. And, yeah, well, it's, I think uh, many times people just feel like if, if they're being heard, that is yeah. a big step right there. Yeah. And, um, you know, just even with Bill Clinton, people would say, you know, that he felt their pain um, and that that was how he spoke to them. And um, it's in many ways happening on a different level. Um, but unfortunately, yeah. I feel society in many ways, we've kind of become a it's like Puritanism has devolved into some sort of capitalist Calvinism or something where. 
um, you know, <laughs> just did, did you read, Did you read Sandell's book by any chance, Christian? No, I have not. Well, well, I have to tell you because that's actually a big theme. Um, in the, oh, okay, sort of great. That, that this Calvinist, it's this weird sort of thing. It's partially explained by yes, our our. our religious history in this country of the Puritans leaving England yeah. and this Calvinist sort of thing, but it gets turned on its head where, where people who have gotten wealth now, well, that's the sign of God's grace. That, right. That they're right. the ones that are headed for heaven because they're rich. And so if it gets turned backwards so that, okay, if you get rich, then you're going to heaven. And right. so then the getting rich becomes important. And all the other things that get you to heaven, it's 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 a it's a it's a pretzel logic to to, to coin a Steely Dan album. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I think it was Steely Dan. Um, yes, it was. It was. That's a logic. I heard the Steely Dan. <laughs> so, but but yeah, it, it, so and it's it's yeah, it's 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 a funny thing how we got there. Yeah, and, and it definitely becomes self-feeding. I mean, it's just something that I see a lot of times give explanations for why they think, you know, Trump is right. And it's, a, well, he has so much money, so therefore he must be right. Well, that, that in itself kind of proves it. And then kind of on the reverse side, you there are a lot of, I forget the term, it's wealth something but uh wealth ministries or something like that but a lot of churches that are really kind of have since oh yes, yes. The, the 80s send yeah. us money and you'll get rich you i think know? it's called right. the, the prosperity gospel i think is one right. of the terms i've right. heard right. around. yes yes yeah. and there are a lot yeah. of these mega churches uh joel osteen and, and a lot of those right. people right. Uh, you know push this and it's i i guess yeah in a way it's funny because i'm watching the crown now also on, on Oh, uh, yeah. on Netflix and, you know, about Lady Diana and getting married. It's, I am sort of struck at cert, some of the similarities to, to when she got married. So I, this is within, you know, well within my uh, uh, lifetime. To, I, I was an adult when I watched all that happen. And this was just this, this princess marrying a prince story. And everybody was so swept up in it. And, yeah. and there were lots of problems in the world at that point. But but this just got everybody looking at this this fairy tale thing that's happening. Of course, the way it's playing out in the crown is, of course, it wasn't all that good. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but yeah, that we do as a society then want to have these these fairy tale things happening, and like you say, being heard, and and people should be heard, and and I think yeah, that's. Uh, right, but once you're hurt, something should become of that. You know what I mean? You can't just be hurt and then nothing, you get screwed over. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well. Yeah. And, and sadly now, a lot of what gets said and what gets heard, too much of it is irrational now. It's gotten involved in taking sides about things, um, in fighting about things, in attacking other people. And just saying something to make the other guy hurt, whether or not it's true, it doesn't make any difference. Now the point is just to, to score points in some sort of thing where uh, zero sum game where the other guy loses. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, I, I mean, I think you you I, I I look you know what goes on with the disinformation just with respect to, to COVID nineteen and. 
I mean, I think COVID-19 in some ways really plays in badly to this situation because right. how are we going to get out of this? Well, we're going to get out of this by trusting the elites. Well, but wait a minute. But the elites are those bad guys on the coasts that are that, that have gotten all this merit and this, you know, all this stuff we, we were just talking about. So, uh, so what am I supposed to think? And so, you know, then, and it means that then some, somebody like Tony Fauci can become this whipping boy. And, and the yeah. people want to say, well, early in the pandemic, Fauci said you didn't need to wear masks. And now he says you do. Right. Flip flopped. And, yeah. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and that's how as we understand nature that's how our understanding of nature evolves we think an idea and it's wrong we think another idea and it's wrong we think another idea and it's not wrong for now and then it gets wrong and then we think another it's not wrong for a lot of yeah rick Rick, i have a question for you yeah Uh, which which i like i why do you think he flip-flopped on that because people like People bring that up a lot, the flip-flopping of Fauci on the mask thing. So so I can relate to this. Having, having been – one of the things that you learn is you move up through the management ladders in business. And you get to the VP, and, and your life is filled with having to make firm decisions with, with incomplete information. And – you know, pretty soon you have to decide, well, what's the best way to attack this disease? In my case, working you know, in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, well, if you already knew what the right answer was, the problem would have been solved. Right? But this, yeah. As evidenced by the fact that people are dying from this disease, the, the solution isn't out there. And so you're still learning what you don't know. And I, this is one of the things that bothers me. I, I, it's not... Saying it's a flip flop is is not correct, and and I, I I don't know that our language has a good way to say what it is. Um, a, a flip flop, I would think, is when when you should have known one thing, or you you should have said one thing, but you said the opposite thing, and then later you say the thing you should have said. The should have here is it's not like there was a known thing he could have said. And, and the evidence for uh, for or against mask wearing at the time, and in fact, I, I remember this myself. I, when I was, uh, I was actually in Australia when this was all hitting the fan. And in fact, we were, uh, we were on a plane flying down to Tasmania. And, and when we landed at the, the Tasmania airport, we didn't get off the plane for six hours because somebody sitting up in the front of the plane said they weren't feeling well. Uh, this was in um, February, so very early in the outbreak. Yeah, and this got like the the Australian Health Ministry involved in in all of this. And what do we do with these patients? Because we don't have a test. We, uh, what do we do? So we ended up sitting there for six hours and, and, and until they figured out what to do with us. And, and people were asking. <laughs> no, 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 but it was right about that time, actually, as, as, as his uh, story came out. And, and we were talking about, you know, most of the people on the plane were not wearing masks. And somebody looked at me and said, so, so should we be, all be wearing masks? And honestly, the best thing I could say was, well, I don't think it can hurt. 
And right. I couldn't say right. yes or no. Yeah. Um, now, of course, somebody like Fauci is infinitely better plugged in, so I don't want to compare myself to him. But, you know, that, that that's the nature of it. Uh, Do you think, like, like, but, but part of the thing that I heard was, and like, maybe he was trying to preserve masks for the people who needed it. And he didn't want to like panic workers. everybody yeah. and tell everybody to like make a run on masks. Like, that's the only thing I can think of why he did that. You know, I, I, I honestly, I, I he think the only know. way to know that is, is for him to tell us. I, I think, right. yes, I've heard that out there. And, and in all the cases, I mean, it's, it's literally, it's Monday morning quarterbacking, right? It's somebody yeah. who's not Tom Brady trying to explain why Tom Brady called the play. Yeah. And uh, sorry, I didn't mean to hurt everybody's feelings. <laughs> no, we're very well aware of this. Painfully <laughs> <laughs> so, aware. Uh, maybe, maybe I should say Cam Newton, but I, I don't know. Yeah. The jury's yeah. still out yet. Why did Cam Newton call that play? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, let's let's ask Cam. You know, well, it's it's uh, so so. I, you know, it, it was nothing is ever is, is well nothing. I, I things often aren't as simple as just he. You know, Fauci didn't do this because he was worried about mask supplies or something else. I, right. I think there also right. is the question. You know, I mean, if you look at it literally, for most masks. You look at the, you know, if you look really close at any piece of fabric, it, it's not a solid bit of material. You can breathe through it. It's got holes in it and stuff. Those holes have a certain size. The size of those holes is much bigger than the actual virus particles themselves. If you look at an individual right. virus particle, it's right. like, well, I don't even know. I can't think of a good metaphor, but it, it's it's like driving a, a very little tricycle through a very, very, very large tunnel. Um so, so if you look at it that way, you say, "Well, a mask won't do anything to stop the the the, par- the the virus particles from getting in." But that ignores a couple of things. One is that the virus usually doesn't travel as individual particles; it usually travels on a little bit of forgive me for getting gross here, but a bit of mucus or or please get gross, whatever that comes out of your mouth when you sneeze or cough or sing. Right. But they're, they're little particles, which are which are bigger. And also the pathway to get through the weave of the fabric is actually kind of tortuous. It's not just like one neat little pin prick hole. So, but, but the only way to know how good it is, is to do experiments on it yeah. um, and, and see if the particles on which COVID-19 travels can, can make it through. And at that point, there was very little known about that. And in fact, yeah. The research is still pretty active on this. You can still read reports that go one way or another about the, the relative value of a mask in terms of if I have the disease, wearing a mask, I think everybody pretty much agrees, will prevent me if I cough or sing or, or whatever. It'll prevent the particles that might come out of my mouth from, from getting to you. It'll block those. Does the, do the masks work? Uh, well, in the opposite direction. So when I breathe in through the mask, will it prevent uh, the virus from getting into me? I happen to believe that they they are effective to a point. Um, 
They're not yes. 100% effective. But nothing, none of the things we do that we're talking about doing, the distancing, the hand washing, none of those are 100% effective. But in combination, they, they raise your odds dramatically. So anyway, sorry, that's yeah. kind of a long-winded answer, but I, but I, but I you know, yeah. Right. And I think another, you know, another level to this too is also how the media portrays everything. I think when you actually go back and look at what Fauci was saying about masks, it's not as dramatic as it has been kind of framed. It's been framed. People had a a political interest in framing it a certain way right. at yeah. different points. And so they did. And then the media also is pretty horrible about reporting on science in general. I mean, if you, yeah. uh, you know, there are, I, I look at some websites that will just do the press releases for a, a new peer reviewed, all sorts of peer reviewed studies that are coming out. And I'll see one and we'll say something about, you know, chocolate, you know, maybe good for oh. your heart. Maybe we should do more studies. Yeah. You know, that's all that the paper is saying is sort of like, huh, who knew? You know, there's something in chocolate that's not bad for you or whatever. And or then, coffee. right, or coffee. And then you see headlines yeah. in newspapers that will say, chocolate's great. Eat all sorts of chocolate and you'll live forever. Um, you know, that it, they don't get <laughs> right. into the nuances of it's actually someone saying, huh, this is interesting. Let's look into this some more. I'm on a I'm on a pure chocolate diet right now. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> chocolate I, I, and beer, that's it. Yeah. I'm coming with to my a medical power. journal. I'm going with my pure Kubeb diet. Right. <laughs> well, it's you know, to me, I think I didn't mention this. You know, I talked about how I've been very interested in social justice and medical relief. But one of the other areas that I has really bothered me for a long time, including back when I was in the industry, was was the state of science education. And I think it's just a, a, it it needs a major overhaul because right. people. Yeah. I I don't think we should turn everybody into a scientist, but I think. How our science education allows people, how it teaches people how to think about science, it's kind of like we're still teaching them that science is kind of like, you know, Gilligan's Island, the professor, that science right. works like yeah. the professor. He says, oh, yeah. we have a problem. Well, I automatically know the answer and I will work directly towards that answer. And nothing could be further from the truth. And I think one of the great failings of science education here is that we are not teaching everybody how science works. The, the learning of how science works can only be accomplished th through this process that only the elites can partake in. You have to get mm. your science college degree, and then you have to get your science graduate degree. And then if you're like me, you do a first postdoc and a second postdoc. And then, yeah. you know... And it, it, you don't need to go through all that to understand some really fundamental things about how science works. And, and I think just as, as, as you said, Chris, the media, either because they don't understand how science works or because they have to, to simplify it down to, to effectively reach their population, to, to make their advertising dollars, whatever it is, yeah. I think it reveals many facets of, of weak science education um yeah 
Yeah, and I think that, yeah, the media really success to them is driven by clicks, not by successfully communicating an idea. Right. Yeah. Accurately. I mean, yeah. can we use yeah. our our uh, platform as part of the media to can well, can you explain the scientific method or something? The, just having a, a one hour interview uh, actually conveys. Uh, more knowledge you know what i mean like 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 the media wants to get something out in like five seconds you know like a, but a blip but, for it. but if i can have a question and answer section session with a, a scientist or whatever and, and and rick i'm not saying that you're an expert on covid rick we're not saying and you're we're a not scientist. saying that. <laughs> we're not saying you're a scientist rick yeah, don't right, worry yeah. i said so, retired so. right retired scientist so i'm covered i've indemnified guy. myself here right so um so uh, yeah. I just think like having like a longer form, that's, this is why I love podcasts, having a longer form, right. uh, like talk about, there's a lot of nuance to, to many things, just like Fauci can't say, oh, this is why he can't go into why I said we should yeah. wear a mask or not wear a mask because yeah. it would take two hours, you know? He yeah. just has to make a calculation and say, do this. Right. And there, there with Fauci, like when he came out and said like, like earlier, it, I, it's kind of like the, the idea of a flip-flop, that's a political idea yeah. that doesn't apply to science. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, like that's something that they talk about to, with politicians, but with science, it's about like experimenting and learning and, and, and revising your original idea because you've learned more. Yeah, it's, absolutely. I, I think sometimes you see it a lot when people use the word theory as a bad thing um, yeah. to say that, oh, that's not true. That's just a theory. Well, some theories have been put <laughs> through a lot of tests and you know what? Yeah. They probably will change at some point in the future, but it will become even more accurate. That doesn't disprove the first theory. Um, it's just an evolution of, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it. I, and, and I think so, you know, I, I, I in the last and I think in this this conversation, I talked about Michael Sandel, one, one of yeah. the, the books I read recently. Another guy who's writing I've read who, who's no longer with us, but who I, I put at the pinnacle of people that I respect for their intellect um, is Richard Feynman, who is a, a yeah. physicist yeah. who died yeah. in, in the 80s, probably one of the most brilliant people that ever lived. And by the way, his way of doing science was was art. It really yes. was as close to, to science as art as I can. I mean, literally, his way of figuring out what called quantum electrodynamics. Yeah, fancy was to draw these diagrams, these beautiful diagrams that he ended up covering his VW bug or VW um, van with. Also, but um, and and he just. He was a brilliant teacher as well. And he said some of the best things, to me, the best things I've ever heard anybody say about the enterprise of science and how it works. And I won't try to give every quote, but I think one of the things that he said that just bears exactly on what we've just been talking about is that, um, I won't get it exactly right, but basically saying that science just comes to better and better approximations of reality. And, and that's what we're doing here. And, and so that right. theory, okay, the current theory, 
is the current best approximation of reality. Nobody knows these answers. And if there were one thing uh, that I could have people really understand at a gut level is when, when, when a scientific publication says something, it is, it is generally not a fact. It is our best approximation of how nature works right now. And yeah. it may get further supported over time. It may get refined over time. It may get completely blown away. Uh, some of the great ideas, how diseases are spread, were things that, you know, or the earth going, the, the sun going around the earth. And that, that was a scientific theory yeah. for right. yeah. millennia, yeah. and it worked pretty well. Uh, but, but then new data caused us to rethink that. So, and, and we don't want science to be different. It, it, right. we, we don't want it to be absolutely certain because right. we're human. We fail. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and we're, we're only operating with our five senses right here. And there could be more things out there that we cannot read. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. A lot of it too is, I mean, uh, the simplicity of things. I mean, when you get to, um, so for instance, the sun going around the earth, they could still predict where the sun would be, where the planets would be, yeah. where the stars would be. But when you yeah. look at the calculations they had to make in the process of figuring yeah. that out, it was yeah. insane. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden you say, oh, well, let's make these, you know, other orbits, elliptical orbits of all of the planets around the sun. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, well, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Right. One of the most beautiful illustrations of that that I've ever seen, and it's exactly that thing, is that there's, I was lucky enough to, to go to Florence, Italy. <clears throat> My daughter took Italian in college, and so we just had to go see her. Love Florence. Yeah. And, and, and there's, you know, of course, this great museum called the Uffizi, which is the great art museum, which yep. personally yep. gives me leg cramps just thinking about having to walk through the whole thing. <laughs> but right next to it is, is the Galileo Museum. Yeah, that museum is incredible. So, so you know the one I'm talking. Okay, oh, we both been to it. Yeah, so, I have like hundreds of photos. I took. Right. <laughs> so then you know they have these giant spheres. These things called armillary spheres that were used to predict how the planets and the stars would move. And this was important stuff to know because it determined planting things and, yeah. and all sorts of other important things like for commerce that you had to know. And they got, yeah, this ridiculously complicated. And then you walk out of the room with this giant contraption to predict that. And then the next room after that is now where you've got, you know, the, the sun is the center and the earth goes around. That Galileo had, along with a couple of others, had discovered. And suddenly the, the same pictures of how things move were simple. Yeah. 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 Takes my breath away every time I think about that. And, and yes, Chris, I mean, and that's that's... That's so correct. The thing that blows my mind is is um, they back in I don't know the Egyptians back in like whatever BC I don't know when it was, but mm. they measured the shadow from one city and then three hundred miles of a stick mm -hmm. in, at twelve noon, and then from a different city they measured a shadow of a stick at twelve noon. And it was 300 miles away. So then they they were able to calculate the circumference of the Earth from that. You know what I mean? Yeah. From the shadow at 12 noon, yeah. from something yeah. like 300 miles away. And now today, and this was like without knowing anything. With I mean, like 
like without you know having any satellite photos or anything like that today we have flat earthers you know what i mean like like but the ancient egyptians could calculate the the the, uh the the circumference of the earth yeah almost to the t you know well there were probably a lot of flat earthers back then too carl oh i'm sure but i mean i give them more uh you know i mean secret it's uh, it's it's an example you know that yeah flat earthing is, is 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 a failed uh, theory. I mean, yeah, maybe it worked at some point back in human history because you didn't need it, the world to right. be round. But then when, yeah, you start sending ships out, then suddenly that became kind of important. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, yeah. So, so, so that's how, yeah, that, that's how it evolves. And I worry, you know, w- with respect to, to the COVID problem and, and um, like right now, the vaccines that are coming out, I mean, Normally, when a vaccine gets released, it would have been tested for safety for usually the better part of a year. Um, These vaccines are going to be released. And this is a calculated risk. And I'm not saying it's a wrong risk, but I think we we have to understand this is a calculated risk. They're being released after two to three months worth of safety studies. Now, they look pretty clean. It, it there, there's a good argument to be made for going ahead and getting these out, given the severity of the problem. What happens if, God forbid, we find out that between now and nine to twelve months from now, that there are actually some side effects that we couldn't have known about in two to three months? What do you say? It, it, again, this is, gets back to like the flip flop example. Um, that we, we are making decisions with the best information that we have using the best logic that we know how to use. If it turned out not to, to be true in the fullness of time, what does that mean? You're a liar? I mean, we, right. we need to have a way to think about this that's more right. consistent with the way that science really works. And particularly when, when we are watching science happen in real time, Right ahead of us. I mean, in some ways, this is a wonderful teachable moment if we can get people to listen and not right. think so absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- 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 this is a calculated risk. It may work out or it may not. If it works out, it doesn't mean we're geniuses. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't mean we're devils. Yeah. <laughs> th- 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 those are the breaks, but we think it's a good risk worth taking. And, and it's the same thing with, you know, um, with some of the drugs that they're experimenting with now. Yeah. Um, we're, it is not that anybody is trying to lie to us right now. I really don't believe that. It does make my skin crawl when I yeah. hear everybody saying we're not cutting corners with these vaccines because an emergency use authorization as, as is being given out, the release of these vaccines based on only two to three months worth of safety data, that is a shorter time frame than we would normally do. Yeah. I don't know what else to call it, but cutting a corner. It, it is not cutting a corner in, in a sense of, uh, of trying to get away with anything. Again, it's a calculated risk. But, right. But, right. They should be explaining the risk. They yeah. can't. Yeah. They, I, I, I get it. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe that would undermine things. Like, like it's you get the whole political Fauci thing all over again. If you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, and you can see, I mean, a lot of it, again, I think it's um, something that the nuances aren't really reported. And it's, I, I saw something, what was, I think it was the Oxford vaccine or one of the vaccines was showing something like about a 94% success rate, which yeah. for what is basically a flu vaccine is really good from what I, yeah. I understand of it. That's a great, oh. great success rate. But I can see the stories already a few months from now, even if everything goes perfectly, the stories of 6% of people who get this vaccine, it doesn't work for them. Oh my God, this is a scandal. Right. <laughs> well, and, and, and I'll, I'll give you a newsflash now. I, I, I think just based on the nature of, of this virus, and again, I just want to be very careful. I, I'm not issuing medical advice here. This is, this is my opinion, but I, I did all those years in, in pharmaceutical research. A lot of it was spent in researching infectious diseases. These viruses, particularly viruses of the type th that include COVID-19 and others, mutate. We are going to see evolution and natural selection, uh, just like Darwin wrote about, in the course of this pandemic, I am sure. Um, I would not be surprised if there won't be strains of the virus that come out over time, I don't know how long, that won't respond right. um, to right. the vaccine. Maybe not as bad. There are reasons to think it won't be as bad as it is with the flu, where every year you need a brand new vaccine because this year's version of the flu isn't isn't uh, sensitive to to to. They, they can already vaccine. tell where the virus. Like if you have a you you catch COVID, they yeah. can already tell where it generated from. Like if it was European or Chinese, uh, you know, or, yeah. or yeah. Asian, you know. Uh, yeah. uh, yeah, based on the mutation profiles, yeah, right. you can already tell. And, and that's the thing. It mutates at a certain pace. That's the raw material for evolution. And, and this virus, because it's made of RNA, in general, viruses that have RNA in their genomes, as opposed to DNA, generally tend to, to mutate at a higher rate. And, and flu is a particularly bad example because it's got other aspects of its genome that really allow it to, to, to generate variety of in, in uh, hyperspeed, yeah. but but that's that that's kind of how things would work. And it, it's funny because right now I'm sort of involved in an online debate with, with a colleague of mine who uh, sort of feels like this is not going to be a problem. Um, and I think that's another thing: the nature of debates among scientists. You know, the fact is he doesn't know, and I don't know. Um, right. We've got. We both look at the same data and we, we say the best thing that, that we can say based on sort of how it seems to us. And with a new thing like COVID-19, there's so much we don't know. So when I tell you that, that I think that, that there will be strains of the virus that may not respond to the vaccine um, in our future, uh you know, I also have to be honest and say, well, there are other people who don't think that's going to happen. Um, but, yeah. you know, we're, we're going to see. And um, it, Yeah, well, I, th I think, was it, I saw something. Oh, I think it was about, there were, about the hooks. Because the coronavirus, it's like, well, basically crown. I mean, so, but it right. has the spikes that go out and that there have been mutations already that they found that hook on more efficiently. 
um, or more solidly. So, I mean, the mutations are really happening there right now. Oh, it's it. I, I just again to, to sort of you know, to, to, to as a scientist, this is this is absolutely riveting to, yeah. to watch this this virus. I mean, there's so many things about it. The, the the fact that you can spread it asymptomatically, the fact that it it seems to have effects on the central nervous system, the cardiovascular system, right? The way that it latches onto your cells and then gets in and and does that. It's just uh, oh my gosh! It, it's uh, it's it's like trying to drink from a right. fire hydrant. Um, did did oh. they did they ever figure out where, uh, where it came from? Uh, no, that's that's still a work in progress. In fact, that's a, that's a whole other area that's sort of gotten rife with um, political that's problems. In, right, in my opinion, um, <clears throat> the uh, it, it, it uh, there are some missing links in the genome sequencing, as far as I know. Uh, the evidence is, is pretty good that it did come from bats. Some people say it may have come from this other animal called pangolins or been spread around right. somewhere. Um, and the, the general idea is that just humans have been moving into more and more new ecological niches and environments that brings humans into contact with animals and then the animals have a virus that then maybe it mutates and jumps into humans. And because we're spreading out all over the place, this happens more and more. And Ebola is, is almost certainly one example of that. Um, the, uh, but the problem is there are some missing links in that sequence of events between whether it's bats or pangolins and, and the data are, 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 they're just not there. There are some people who are crying foul and saying that there are scientists in China that are hiding data. Uh, right. I don't. I don't. I don't see any reason to believe that that's the case. Particularly when you look at like our ability to produce the vaccines uh, and, and to get such incredible speed started with the incredibly aggressive and productive research that was done in China yeah. to sequence the genome of the virus and to do all that. So I, and, and I, most scientists oof. want to share data and, and, and you know, solve problems. Like yeah. that's the nature. We can't help it. It's, yeah. yeah. You look, you, you look at how much I talk. I, right. Know, it's, 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 it's a hazard. So, you know, it, uh, but yeah, so, so I, I mean, I think that's, you asked about where, where it came from. I, I still think that the best current theory is it came from bats and, and it was because people were getting closer and closer to bats for longer and longer. Yeah. Um, and those mutations do happen. And, and, and there are all kinds of viruses that that's how they, they jump from animals uh, into humans. There's, there's a whole kind of, um, infections. It's kind of a funny name. If you look at it, it looks like it says zoo noses. Uh, it's actually zoonoses. But <laughs> anyway, it's, it's diseases that jump from animals to, to yeah. people. Um, right. So, you know. It, That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Zoo noses is going to be my new um, handle. <laughs> yeah. Like my new. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. My, new, my new Twitter handle. Well, when you're on, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're driving your truck yeah, across yeah. country, break a breaker one night. This is who knows this. Well, I, I, I guess it's, 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 uh, you know, probably down there with Ebola. If you want to call yourself Ebola or something, I mean, why not just catch all of them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
It's like Pokemon, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Catch yeah. Catch, well, in this case, I, I don't think catching them all is anything we want to do. But yeah, no, yeah. No. <laughs> going to catch none of them. Yeah. Going to catch none of them. Sort of the right. anti Pokemon right. here, maybe. Uh, don't catch them all. Well, yeah. I heard, uh, like, there's some really interesting. Um, when the, when the Black Plague hit Europe, there were monks like isolated mm. in the mountains, mm. and and they managed to never catch the plague. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's one well, one thing for isolation. Yeah, right? yeah. No, it's like it's like you hang out in the art shed. Yeah, you no. could just hang out in the art shed until it all blows over. Exactly. You never catch the plague, and you make a bunch of paintings. You get you get a bunch of paintings. You get a you couple kegs of kegs of beer. Podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, this is one of the things actually, it's kind of fascinating because we're sort of doing a lot of natural experiments here on places like college campuses where, you know, some some colleges are better than others. And, you know, you get back to to what uh, Chris, you were saying about in Chicago, tracking things to the zip code level. Yeah. I I think there's going to be a lot to be gained about about social practices and what works here by just looking at college campuses. Yeah. Right. What worked and what didn't work. I, I, I would I would love to see that analysis come out. Um, and it, yes, it will probably prove that yes, those monks back during the, the Black Death were smart. They socially distanced and yeah. part of staying yeah. healthy. Is is there a term for someone who like like gets off on data? Oh, it's, it's it's pretty freaky. I, I look among my circle of friends, we call it normal. Right, right, right. No, I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I, I, it's awesome. I, yeah. No, I, no, I'm no. I, I, I'm just saying, like, there has to be some some term that already exists to describe. I'm typing into the uh, internet cross, right now, Andy. Maybe I'll it. find it. Yeah, pe- people that get off on data. I, it, it's, uh, I, I do have to say, you know, just sort of aside from getting off, I, 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 th- this following these data has been this. So, you know, I talked about it being sort of a morbid hobby, but, but actually, there, there is also this certain kind of strange comfort because yeah. the disease is behaving in a mathematically regular right. way. Right. It's, it's like knowledge is power, basically. And and even if the power is the power to necessarily do anything, at least it's the power to sit back and say, "Oh no, okay, this is behaving. This isn't out of control. I, right. I may not like the control it's under, right? But, but it, it is behaving according to rules, right? And it's society that's out of control. Well, it's." <laughs> We haven't figured out a way to, to very effectively deal with that. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, that's a problem for another day. I, as I think right. I mentioned to Carl, I'm, I'm really big on crows. Oh. And, and ravens. What did you say? Crows? Crows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Carl's looking for a sound yeah, effect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Guess he doesn't have that yeah. one. Oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> no, those are cuckoos. Well, I don't have too many. I don't have any. Any try the baseball one. The baseball one. Yeah. What? Ah, oh, crows. Crows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what we're learning about about the mental abilities of crows is just so amazing. 
they're they're just incredible creatures and they communicate and they have social structures and they can fly. Yeah. Right. So I, 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 I advise everybody should really start being very nice to crows because someday crows could be our overlords. It's true. Well, I saw a murder of crows the other day. I, they, I looked up, I was in my yard and I looked up and there was like eight crows. It's just, they're all watching you. It was super intense. Yeah. They flew and then they sat on every branch. It was, it was so cool. Like how intense it was. Yeah. Like yeah. They are, they are crazy. Oh, my God. There is stuff going on in there. I'm telling you, man, they get one more layer of, of, of cerebral cortex. That That's anatomically, that's the big difference. We've got, I, I don't know if you remember, seven or eight. They have one fewer layers of that prefrontal cortex where we do our thinking. They evolve to get that extra layer of prefrontal cortex. We're done. Yeah. We're done. Well, I was, I was. Oh, so we should get rid of them. So, so no, no, make friends. I'm joking. I'm joking. We want to be their pet. <laughs> so you know, like uh, we're in a crow zoo. <laughs> they keep flipping our wings. <laughs> we're suppressing the mammals, right? When sure. Before the meteor hit, right? So yeah. we're pretty much suppressing the crows. So once. Once we when the human race gets wiped out from one way or the other, yeah, crows the crows can over. evolve to their to their state. There's a be. painting in that, car. right? Exactly. Yeah, actually, Carl, I, th- this would be right up your alley, bud. We're suppressing the crows. We yeah. are suppressing the crows. <laughs> I want to see some artwork of this. <laughs> yeah. I want to, and I love how they're called the murder yeah. of crows. That's yeah. just that's, a, well, I don't know. It's, I'm sticking ass. with my plan of just training primates to run errands for me and kind of live in my house with mm. me and you know do the menial task because what could go wrong with that? Absolutely nothing. Right. There's, there's almost nothing going wrong with raising primates yeah. in your house. <laughs> See, those Planet of the Apes movies yeah. come to mind now all of a sudden. <laughs> Nothing ever. Well, I the other thing I I heard is if if there's ever an apocalypse, stay away from the Statue of Liberty. Right. Yeah. Oh, all those movies, you, know, you mean? Yeah, it's gonna go bad. Yeah, it's gonna go bad if you're at the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. Oh right. boy, we're getting to the end. Yeah, of the we're fun, getting though. a little goofy. Yeah, right, right. So, so um, Rick, do you want to tell us about your uh, your uh, your info and your your plug your charity or um, Sam. Well, so so I, yeah. Again, I, I think the Syrian American Medical Society they they are taking a very active role in um, controlling trying trying to to bring uh, the necessary medical care for COVID nineteen to uh, to. Uh, people in Syria, and particularly in the areas that get the least healthcare, which is mostly northwest Syria. So, uh, yeah, I think the Syrian American Medical Society, if you, and they operate not just in Syria, I should say, but also in Bangladesh and Jordan and other countries, helping besieged populations. And they have made COVID 19 care um, a big focus of what they're doing. So, if you look at the Syrian American Medical Society online, um, you will find stories about what they're doing with that. Um, I would also just say that uh, if people want to, you know, even just the, the, the Johns Hopkins University website is, is actually really excellent. You don't have to 
go as crazy as I do and download all the spreadsheets and all that. They actually have a, a good uh, front page where you, you can just see the highest quality, most up-to-date data on what's happening and where um, d- down to a county by county level uh, in the U.S. or globally. And that's the source that all the major news organizations use. Um, I think it's a pretty user-friendly website. So check out the... Uh, Sweet. I yeah. forget the exact URL of that. Where, where? So just really quickly, where should everyone move to immediately? Oh, that's going to change every oh, other I, day. I, I thought it was American I'm, Samoa. I'm sorry, American Samoa. Yeah, well, well, American Samoa. <laughs> no, that's right. All right. All right. Once I tell oh, you, everybody on. will go there. So exactly. Then that's it's no that. good. All right. So next time we'll be, this is uh, the end of... The Art Shed. This is now not the end, but the end of this episode of the Art Shed. <laughs> and, and you can hide in, if the plague happens, you can hide here or hide in American Samoa. Build your own Art Shed if you want. Yeah. You can build, yeah, build your own. Stay the hell away from the Art yeah. Shed. <laughs> build your own Art Shed. It's a COVID free. In American shed. Samoa, and you'll be fine. Yeah. Thanks to uh, Ed Guild and uh, Andy Susipago for the Mad Carl Stomp. Thanks to Rick. Rick Roby. Rick Roby for uh, giving us some info and talking to us. Yeah, that was Thanks awesome, to producer guys. Chris. Thanks to Carl. Right. Thank right. you. Thanks to the... Thanks to all the lifters. Yeah, Everyone stay safe and stay healthy. Wear your mask. Yeah, wear your mask. Yeah, wear, yeah, wear your mask. And, and don't wear that weird uh, Halloween mask, or maybe you no, should. No, I mean, yeah. Okay. It might have worked for Michael Myers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Wait. I'm just going to play out the rest yeah, of the song. song.